Good morning, church. Well, you're meant to have a guest speaker today. Um, so, hello. <laughs> um, I trust that this truly is going to be a word in season today. That um, what I share with the, with the staff team and the burden that God placed on my heart. Um, plus, Benny felt that this is something that the entire church needs to hear. So, I, I pray and hope that that is definitely the case. Um, whether you're here physically or watching online, I hope this word blesses you. Uh, this word, I hope, is not just going to be a word from my heart, because honestly, you don't need to hear what I care about. Um, you don't need to hear my heart. That shouldn't matter to you, actually. What you should care about is what God's heart is for you, what God wants to say to you. So I hope today is all about what God wants to say to you. And today, I have one goal one goal that I want to make perfectly clear to you so that we're under no illusions of what I'm trying to achieve today. My goal is to convince you that theology is the answer to everything. Before you roll your eyes, all right, and dismiss me and go, of course, that's the equip pastor up there. Of course he needs to say that. Of course he believes that. He's the equip pastor. That's his job. He's meant to say that. He's meant to convince me of that. Now, now, now. Even if you strip me of my title, and you throw me out there into the workplace, right? I'm not the equipped pastor anymore. I would still boldly proclaim and stand by this, that without exaggeration, with any, without any hint of hyperbole, that theology is the answer to everything. Everything. Yes, everything. And I want to tell you why. Okay, I want to tell you why. Now, hear me out here. Okay? First, we need to define what theology means. What do we mean by theology? When I say that word, a lot of images may come to mind. A lot of things may come to your head. <clears throat> theology, when I say theology, I'm not talking about a unit in Bible college. That's not what I'm talking about. Nor am I talking about a framework, a philosophy, a system, or fancy words like ecclesiology, eschatology, and all these ologies. That's not what I'm talking about when I say theology. Theology, at its core, is simply the study of God, right? That's theology. Therefore, when I say theology is the answer to everything, what I'm talking about is knowing God more and seeing Him more clearly is the answer to everything. That when we have a clearer picture of the Most High God, when we have a clearer glimpse and more complete knowledge of His grace, His mercy, His love, His glory, His holiness, that will change everything. That no matter what is happening around in the world, whether it's COVID, whether it's wars, threats of wars, whether it's health problems, whether it's sickness, whether it's death, whether it's your life is going well and you're, you've, in, you've encountered great material success, whatever is going on in, the li in your life and in the world, theology has a response and its help is very practical for your life right now. Because theology simply looks up to God and goes, who are you? And when we know who God is, He changes our lives. It transforms us into His likeness. And we need more of that. We need more of that. So today, church, I want to be perfectly clear. I am not trying to get you to go to Bible college. Nor am I trying to get you to go to an equipped course or Aris College, even though all those are possible. My goal is for you to care about and to pursue theology. 
Because theology will lead you to God. Theology will allow you to see God more. I want to take what maybe some of you think is only for the intellectual elite and for the equipped pastors and for the teachers of the church and for those theologians that really have time and space to care about these things. I want you, everyday Christian, to care about theology because theology belongs in your hands. As one person said, everybody is a theologian and that is entirely true because everybody should be wanting and pursuing a greater knowledge of who God is. Because honestly, when you perceive God more clearly, your life will change. Everything will be different. And I want to encourage those who have dismissed theology, who have dismissed the study of God's Word, who have maybe dismissed all these things that growing deeper in your knowledge of God as, you know, that's too profound for me. It's too, if I can use this word, chim for me, right? It's a bit beyond me. Too profound for me, right? I'll let those who care about these things and who have the intellect for these things to care about it. No, no, no. I want to encourage you that this is for you and you should care about it too. I also want this to be a warning maybe to those who have misused theology and made it something that it is not. See, theology can be misused and this is why it gets a bad rap, I believe, because some people who know a lot about the Bible seem to not love God much. And that's weird, isn't it? How can you know God more and yet not love Him more? How can you stare in the face of His glory and not be moved? It doesn't make sense, right? And this is because, right, we have made theology more about the systems, the words, the frameworks, the study than about God. Theology is meant to point you to one person, that is Christ, God. And therefore, if it doesn't lead you to a greater worship of God, something is wrong with your theology. Something is wrong with your theology. Therefore, therefore, church, it, and I'm acutely aware that, you know, the Pharisees in Jesus' time, they were the most knowledgeable people of the Scriptures. In fact, out of all the people in Israel, they were meant to be the ones that were to point the people to Jesus Christ and go, this guy, he's our Messiah. We have studied the Scriptures and this looks like him. This looks like the guy that we've been waiting for. But they were the ones that were totally blind to him. And we use that and say, look, theology, study, that leads you away from God. No, 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 no. It doesn't lead you away from God. The problem with the Pharisees was not because they had too much theology, they had too much knowledge. The problem was that they, they were so focused on the knowledge that they forgot about who the knowledge points to. And it's God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want you to care about theology, true theology, good theology, because good theology will change everything. It will make our church better. It will make your lives better. It will make the, the, the passion, the depth of your worship and of your life better. I believe it's the answer to everything. Okay? So as we begin, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that to make this time edifying and fruitful for all of us. I pray that it'll be your heart and your word that they hear and it comes forth and not from me. Holy Spirit, this time is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text for today is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in 
knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be able, it may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I believe in this passage, we see three things, good theology, that are not more, when you abound more and more in your knowledge and depth of insight, three things that good theology leads to. Firstly, good theology leads to a better church. Now when I say church, I don't mean an organization. I don't mean an institution. I don't mean a building. I mean you and me. That we, when we have good theology, we collectively become better. We collectively become more loving. The high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, what did Jesus pray for his disciples and for the church? He prayed that may they love one another. Just I have loved them. May they love one another too. And through their love, may the world see who? Christ. See Christ. See, our love is not a natural love, right? There's no way that the love that we are called to show one another is natural, is, can be even forced or manufactured. It is something entirely supernatural. It is from God. We see this in 1 John chapter um, 4, verse 19, that we only love because God has first loved us. Our love must come from God. Therefore, the key to a better church, the key to a more loving community, a safer community, a community that accepts any believer, regardless of race, class, or culture, is more of God. It's a greater knowledge of Him. That when we abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight of Him, His love will be made more manifest amongst us. A.W. Tozer has a brilliant quote. It goes like this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, the same tuning fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you want a more loving community that truly loves one another? That's not sowing conflict, but just wants the pure, holy fellowship with one another. When you gather in your connect groups, there is no factions, there is no, there's no cliques, there's no superficiality there. There is just actual love and support for one another. Do you want that? Well, the answer is, the solution is for each and every one of us to spend more time, not looking to each other, and not, not spending more time trying to find common ground with one another. The answer is to spend more time looking to Christ. And that when each one of us perceives Him more clearly, we will overflow in love to one another. Church, there is a problem if only people of a certain skin color can attend our church. Now, I'm not saying that if our church only has people of a certain skin color, that's something wrong. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if, if only people of a certain skin color, if only people that have a certain interest in certain things, if only people that like a certain cuisine can feel accepted 
and loved in our church, in our small groups, in our connect groups, there is something wrong. If in your connect group, if in your small group, if when you go out there, you can only feel loved by a, a person that is like you, that talks the same way you do, that has the same interests as you, that has the same cultural background as you, that likes the same food as you, if those are the only people that can feel loved by you, something is wrong. Because that means that your fellowship, your love for other believers is based on you, not on God. And that is not love. That is not the love that we are called to show to one another. That is not a supernatural love. That is a superficial love. That is a natural love. You don't have to go out there, go meet someone on the street. You can experience this love. The unique thing that you encounter in church, church is the one place where you should be guaranteed that you will feel loved, that you will be loved. Why? Because in this place, if you are a believer, you are meeting with your family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is the only reason why you are loved. Not because you, how you dress, not because of how you talk, not because of how you look, because you love Jesus, I love Jesus, therefore we're family. I mean, think about the first converts, first few converts of the church in Philippi. Did you know this? In Acts chapter 16, it records the first few converts in the church of Philippi. The first one, do you know who it is? It was a wealthy trade woman that specialized, that, that traded in dye, in, in purple cloth. She was a wealthy female merchant, a businesswoman. The second convert was a slave girl that was demon-possessed and used to hustle people on the street by telling their fortunes. There's a second convert. The third convert was a Gentile Roman prison warden. Now, let me ask you this. What do these three have in common? What are they going to talk about when they gather over a meal? What's the dinner conversation going to be? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing they have in common. The only thing that binds them, the only thing that they have in common is that Christ has done something in your life and Christ has done something in my life. Therefore, we can fellowship. Therefore, we are family. A prison warden and a slave girl from the streets can love one another, can encourage one another. Why? because of what Christ has done for them. That's the only reason. Therefore, church, why should you care about the person next to you? I don't care whether you know them personally. You should love them. Why? Because Christ has loved them. Because they have the Holy Spirit too. And because of that, and that alone, we need to love them. And the only way you can love them, truly love them, truly love them, is if you look to Christ. If, is if His love has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit and overflows in loving affection towards one another. That is the only way. Our connect groups, in our small groups, we need to spend more time, more time looking to Christ than to just find out what each other's week has been like. 
Because it's not when we know one another more. That's not what truly will bind us. It is important, I know. But it's not what truly, that, it's not what truly binds us. What truly binds us and connects us is the love of Christ. That is what is going to lead to a loving, better church. The second thing that good theology leads to is better lives. Better lives. Now, what do you think I mean by better life? I don't, I don't mean that you have more material success. I don't mean a more comfortable life, clearly. A better, what I mean by better life is that where you are, people flourish. That's what Christians are meant to do. That wherever you go, wherever you are, relationships, people flourish. They bloom. Relationships are mended. People are made whole. That's what I'm talking about when I say good theology leads to a better life. Because when a Christian has a deeper and fuller perception and knowledge of who his or her God is, it will lead them to live a kind of life that makes other lives better. Good theology leads to better Lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Good theology. Knowing God more. Seeing Him more clearly. Helps us both to know what is good and to do what is good. The New Testament consistently emphasizes this, that our conduct is simply a product of our faith in Christ. It is when believers have a poor view of Christ, not a better view of Him, that leads to arguments, conflict, division, and pain. What then is the best solution to a Christian that's struggling with sin, that's living in sin? Should we reason with them, lay out the pros and cons of their behavior? Should we remind them that, hey, this is not how a member of faith community church behaves? Or if they're a leader, should we chastise them that, hey leader, you, ha- you live to a certain standard now. Don't you realize that your behavior has influence and ramifications for others? You need to set an example for others. Now, I'm not saying that we couldn't do these things. And I'm not even saying these things aren't helpful or even correct to do. They are. They are helpful. But if we only do these things, If we only do these things, then I think and I believe that we could leave this person as much a son of the devil as before. Because we have not pointed them to Christ. You've reminded them of the ramifications of their behavior. You've reminded them that, hey, your position deserves better, demands more. But you've not pointed them to the true solution to their sin problem which is Christ. They have a poor view of Christ. They have taken their eyes off Christ. And that is why they're struggling in sin. Now, I'm not saying that if you struggle with sin, that you have completely, you're completely wayward from Christ. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we contemplate Christ more, when we have a clearer view of His glory, of His love, of His grace, of His character, that will lead us away from sin. I want to show you this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then a seraphim came, with a life call in his hand, which he took from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What brought Isaiah to his knees in repentance? What brought Isaiah to his knees in repentance? It was a clear vision of the Holy God. No one had to convince him to repent. No one had to guilt trip him to repent. No, when he saw God seated on his throne, when he heard the voice of the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He was done. He wept and repented and was prostrate before God. And God, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. See, Church, I want you to get out of your head that theology is only theoretical. It's only concepts. It's only theology. That doesn't really lead to anything practical or down to earth. It can't be further from the truth. Theology is the most practical thing that you could have. Because when you perceive God seated high on His throne, how can you not repent? How can you not be heartbroken? And cut to the heart of how you're living apart from Him. How can you not? It's when we stand more in the light of Christ that we have a clearer perspective of how we truly are. It is in His throne room that we're so aware, that we're most aware of our unworthiness before Him. And it tears us down. It removes all semblance of pride and boastfulness. Because we realize how unworthy we are. Yet at the same time, do you realize that when he had a vision of the throne and he realized, oh my goodness, I am so unworthy, I'm so sinful, what did God do? An angel came and cleansed him with the burning coals on the altar. It wasn't Isaiah that cleansed himself. It was God that cleansed Isaiah. And see, even though in the presence of the most holy God, we realize how unworthy we are, we also realize how loved we are. That God doesn't just tear us down. He lifts us up and He reminds us that you are worthy, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what I have done. Because church, the one that has been sacrificed on the altar is the lamb that was slain, is Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we come and perceive the true living God, we will have a deeper revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that, at the same time, re reminds us that we are so unworthy. Yet, it lifts us up to remind us that I am worthy because of Him. Because of what He has done for me. That I'm not cleansed myself. He has cleansed me. And therefore, when we have 
good theology, when we perceive God more clearly, when we perceive the true nature of the cross and what Jesus has done, well then we are both humbled and confident. We can enter the throne room of God with confidence, knowing we receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Why? Because Christ, we see Christ slain on the cross. Therefore, good theology leads to a better life. If you are struggling with sin, what you need is not someone to remind you, hey, let's try to manage your sin. If you struggle with anger, let's try to come up with some three steps to manage your anger. Although that may be helpful in some way, what you need the most is perception and is a greater revelation of the patient and loving God. You need to perceive Christ more clearly. If you struggle with greed and selfishness, what we need more is not decluttering exercises or images of children in poverty. What you need and what will combat and is the solution to your greed and selfishness is a greater revelation of the good and generous God that has withheld nothing from us. That is the true solution to our sin problem. Therefore, more time spent meditating and contemplating the character of God, more time studying and unpacking the depths of His grace and love for us. It is these things that will lead us to lives of greater submission to Christ and greater fruitfulness. Church, I do not want you to think that I'm talking about theory here. I do not want you to think that I'm talking about something that is just for me. Of course you need to care. Of course you have time for this. Of course you care about it. You're a pastor in this church. I, don't, I want you to hear me, church. Because the moments of my personal, most sincere moments of repentance and transformation before God have not been when I have felt guilty over my sin because I just sinned that day. It's not been because my leader has reminded me of my position in faith community church. Hey, you're a pastor. You can't behave like this. No. My most sincere moments of repentance before God, the moments where I have just gone, God, I can't live like this anymore. And I've changed. Is when I've had a clearer glimpse of who God is. When the preacher and teacher has gone, look to Christ. See how good he is. See how glorious it is. And that transforms me. As James puts it, it's like looking into a mirror. And when we see us, who we are, when we see a reflection of the light of Christ, how can we not be but transformed? How can we not be but changed forevermore? And that is what we need the most in our lives. Not just in church, but every single day. When we look into Scripture, may you see God revealed. Because that's what Scripture is meant to do. It's meant to reveal who God is. When you study Scripture, and I see many of you studying Scripture out there before service, and that's awesome. Amazing. Could, be, could not be more delighted to see that. May that lead you to a greater worship of God. May that lead to a better life, but also greater worship of Him. Because, church, and this is my third point, good theology must lead to better worship. Now, worship, 
I don't just mean what we do here when we sing songs. That is an expression of our praise and worship, absolutely. But worship is every day of the week. Our lives are meant to be lived in praise and worship. Praise is meant to be coming forth with every breath that we breathe. We're meant to be praising God for how good He is, for how glorious He is, how holy He is. And this time together is just meant to be an overflow. It's just meant to be a small section, a small expression of our weekly worship to Him. Beware any theology that does not lead you to greater worship of God. How, it doesn't make sense to me how someone can meditate and study on the glory of God and be unmoved. How can you hear about his love for you, how, he's, how much he's done for you, and just go, yeah, sounds good. That sounds about right. How can you meditate on his character, his compassion, and even his wrath, and go, and just be, not stand in awe at his awesomeness and his glory? How can you not be moved to better worship? Church, I want to, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, to the glory and praise of God. This is what all this is meant to lead to. To the glory and praise of God. You know, I know that there's a stigma that all these intellectual people, people very knowledgeable about the Bible, they're the most um, dry people in church. They're the most, maybe, harsh people, critical people in church. Or maybe they're the more, they, they don't really experience God. You don't see a lot of joy from them. You don't see a lot of happiness from them. And it might be due to nature, right? Because I admit, I'm not the most <laughs> naturally smiley person in the world. I'll admit that. Um, I'm not the most expressive person either in my relationships. And so if you see me out there and I'm very serious, please don't take offense. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not angry. <laughs> That's just my face. Um, uh, and so there's this stigma that um, the most knowledgeable people about the Bible are the, the most dry the people that have least encounters with God. And that's so sad. Because that should not be the case. Because how can you know so much about God and, and it not affect you? How can it not lead you to your knees in, in worship to Him? How can you stare for an hour and perceive and, and unpack the holiness of God and not be driven to your knees in praise. How, how is that possible? How, how is that possible? Well, if that's you, then, well, either your theology is wrong or your posture of your heart is wrong. One of those two things. So therefore, if you claim that I know about God and all these people around me, they need to know God more. They need it. Preach it, pastor. Preach it. Well, then I want you to listen too. Because beware that if your theology does not lead you to your knees, check what is the substance of your theology. Is it truly pointing you to Christ or to your head? If it's not leading to your knees, if your knowledge of God does not lead you to... If, may your knowledge only be rivaled 
by your worship of Him. May your knowledge of God only be rivaled by your worship of God. That if you claim to know God a lot, then may you be the most passionate worshiper of Him. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Don't claim to know God. Don't claim to know God until your knowledge of Him actually leads you to Him. Until your knowledge of the glorious, holy, compassionate God leads you to become more compassionate, more holy, and leads you to your knees in praise and worship of Him every single day. Until that happens, don't claim to know God. Because don't claim to have good theology. Because good theology is meant to lead you to Him. It's meant to lead you to Him. And that's what I mean by good theology. Good theology, more Bible study, going to seminary, going to equip courses. If it doesn't lead you to Christ, then check either the posture of your heart or the theology that you're getting. Because something is off. Something is off. Church, I'll tell you this. What has led me to a more sincere worship of God, not just in here, but in my daily life, has been a greater revelation of who God is by the study of His Word. And that's why I'm so passionate about this, church. And I know you can pursue God in many different ways. I know that. I know that you can pursue God in, in prayer and, and fasting and, you know, um, praying in the Spirit and all these things. And all these things are good. So please don't think that I am tearing any of this down. I am not tearing any of this down. Rather, I'm just trying to highlight one aspect of our faith that I think has been dismissed by some people or misused. Because church, um, well, I'll share this personally. You know, when I was younger, and as I said, I'm not the most expressive person, and that overflows into my, I think, my relationship with God. So when I used to, when I, when I was younger, when I would be in worship services and when we would sing songs, you know, I would see all these hands being raised, people bowing on their knees, and I'd be like, oh, well, that's what good Christians seem to do. So therefore, I'll just copy that. I'll just, you know, raise my hands because that was a good thing to do. When, you know, when it's a fast beat, I'll clap, right? When it's a slow song, I'll lift up my hands in worship because that's what you do, right? And, but as I grew with God and had more encounters with Him in conferences and in camps, you know, there'd be moments where I'd peak really high. You know, I'd have this emotional high. I'd have this great encounter with God, great experience with Him. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm so passionate for God. I want to worship Him. I want to praise His name. But then after a while, it would just fade, right? After a while. Because the, the moment would pass. The feeling would pass. Because it was, that feeling was only built on a momentary experience. But the thing that has created and cultivated the most sustained passion and sincerity in praise and in worship in my life and here when we worship together has not been a worship leader coming up on stage going, hyping us up. Come on, church. Do you love God? Do you want to praise Him? Come and stand to your feet and praise Him. Lift up your hands. Shout it, shout it out loud. No, it's not been that. The most what has led to the most sincere and passionate worship of Him has been a greater revelation of who He is. Church, do you want this church to be, I don't know if you care about this, but um, 
do you want this place to be a place where when you come, you're just ready to worship God? But no one needs to tell you, hey, how about you bow on your knees if you feel like it? No, one, no one's judging you, just if you want, why would you bow? Do you know what led Isaiah to his knees? No one had to tell him to bow on his knees. When he had a clear vision of the Holy God, he just went on his knees. No one had to coerce him. No one had to persuade him. No one had to suggest him. Isaiah, how about if you feel led to, why don't you bow before God? No, when you have a clear vision before God, when you realise whose presence you stand before, you get on your knees. No one has to tell you. No one, no one has to suggest this to you. You get on your knees. You sincerely lift up your hands and praise God. And I know I'm not, I'm not pushing you to worship God in a certain way. And why do I have to clarify this? <laughs> you can worship God in any way that you want. The, what I'm talking about is sincerity of passion. That when you stand before, when you bow down, when you lift up your hands, when you're just standing there, the sincerity of your passion before God can only come and grows when you have a deeper revelation, when you need deeper knowledge, when you perceive who God is more clearly. That's what theology does. Good theology pulls back the veil of heaven, just like Isaiah perceived in his vision, and allows you to see that's who my God is. That's what we need more of. Therefore, the past few Sundays, you've heard all about God. Heard more knowledge of Him, growing your knowledge of Him. He's omniscient, He's glorious, He's sovereign, and all these things. And this is all great. This is all good. But what now? What now that the series is over? Is that it? Is that where the knowledge of God ends? No. It's only where it begins. Hopefully this has simply whet your appetite to pursue God more, to find Him more in Scripture. So church, there is no altar call today. The one response I want you to have today is to go home, get into Scripture, and see God. Open up the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the depths of who God is to you. And do whatever it takes to make that happen. Whether it's meditating on Scripture, whether it's the study of Scripture, whether it's touching commentary, whether it's going to seminary, go to seminary. Absolutely. But go to a good seminary that doesn't tear apart the Bible, but leads you and points you to Christ. Go to Arrows College. Right? 3.30, just for you. Right? <laughs> go to an equip course. Our equip courses are all online. Uh, you can sign up for, any, for, for them. They're all on the website. But church, I don't want you to walk away from here just going, equip course, seminary. That's how I know God. No, no, these are ways you can know God. These are ways you can grow in your knowledge of Him. But remember, the one thing, the one thing that I want you to care about, the one thing I hope I have persuaded you of is that theology matters. That theology is the answer to everything. That when you have a greater knowledge of God, your life will be absolutely transformed. That when you have, when you receive good teaching that reveals Christ to you, when we sing songs that lift up the name of Jesus and remind us of what He has done and who He is and His character, that that is truly what will lead to a better, more loving church. That's not just theory. That's not just philosophy. When you study the Bible, 
in your connect groups and I hope you study the Bible in your connect groups, church, because that is the only thing that will bind us together. That's the only thing that will lead us to a more loving community. That's the only thing that will lead to more faithful and more fruitful lives in our people, in your life. It's more of Him. It's more of Him. And we find Him where? The Bible. Scripture. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He unveils it. He unveils Scripture to us. Therefore, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you claim to know Him, then may you be so rich and grow in your knowledge and depth of insight. And may your life be characterized by sincere and passionate worship of Him. Let's stand. Let's stand and um, let's respond. Let's respond in praising God and worshiping Him, lifting up His name. Because that's what our life should be about. Praising Him and worshiping Him and glorifying Him because we are so consumed by His glory and His grace.